You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. And this is the Warrior Priest Podcast, midweek debrief number 42. And I am the Warrior Priest, Donovan Riley. Before I dive in this morning, just a update on where things are at as far as merch. I still have about 20 or 30 stickers left, Warrior Priest Podcast stickers. If you want a sticker, they're two bucks plus a dollar shipping and handling. You can text or DM me directly through Instagram, Warrior Priest Jim and Podcast, or just Warrior Priest Donald Riley, and I will give you the information for my PayPal so we can get you set up with a sticker. Otherwise, good news, the t-shirts are finally in, and they look good. I posted to my Instagram accounts today so you can see a picture of the shirts. And again, if you would like a shirt, they're 25 bucks plus shipping and handling. All more details on that. I'm going to go and get one of the shirts weighed along with the package so I can give exact change as far as cost and shipping and handling. If you know me locally, it's 25 bucks for the shirt. I'll have them with me at all times if you want to purchase one. Otherwise, again, DM me through Instagram and I will get you set up with information for the shirts. And as I said, you can look on Instagram for a picture and see the design. And they turn out really, really well. Really happy with um, the guy who owns the print shop that I worked with. And um, yeah, for a first shirt, pretty nice. Great material. Love the shirts. Super comfortable. 100% cotton. All kinds of fancy descriptors after that that tell you all about the quality of the, the thread and all that stuff. And lastly, if you want to support the podcast, go to Anchor FM, Warrior Priest at Anchor FM. Click the support button. And a dollar, five bucks, 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month helps immensely, especially right now. Uh, times are tough and trying to get the gym up the ground, trying to keep the podcast going and evolve it and see where this goes. And just in life in general, I'm sure we're all struggling, which is probably going to be most of what I talk about today in the debrief. But yeah, that's a nice segue. So let's just hit it. I'm going to go back to Jack Donovan his book, Becoming a Barbarian, since I'm reading it and doing a deep dive into it. I know that Jack is a controversial figure. All you have to do is Google his name and you'll find as many people praising him as vilifying him. I try and stay away from that side of things uh, with authors that I'm reading until I make a decision about their work, of whether or not I want to do a deep dive into their background, their history, their personality, because... What I found through my own writing and through my own work is that a lot of what we do ends up being autobiographical. As one professor said to me, when we look into the well of history, we often see our own reflection. And so at some point, if I decide that having read this book, Becoming a Barbarian, I want to dive deeper into more of Jack Donovan's work, then I will read the criticisms and the hagiography of Jack Donovan I'll do a deeper dive into his personal history, his background, and what really motivated him to go in this direction with this career as an author. But that being said, then, this is an excerpt from Becoming a Barbarian, where he writes, Politics becomes even more of a magnet for self-aggrandizing sociopaths and liars than it already tends to be by nature. And men with no meaningful political power or authority waste their time and energy trying to convince complete strangers to convert to their way of thinking. Even when those strangers have different group identities, different religious beliefs, and completely incompatible or opposing ideas about what is good 
or best in life. The reason that I wanted to read this today is that my governor, Governor Waltz of Minnesota, has come out this week with a series of press conferences, each press conference inching us further into a statewide shutdown, another statewide shutdown under the aegis of rising COVID cases. We're not told how many tests are being performed so that we can quantify the number of cases. We're not told how many deaths there are. We're not told what groups within our population are most affected by COVID-19 and therefore which need to be the most cautious. Instead, in my opinion, the most physically and mentally unhealthy and unsound people are telling people who are healthy and of sound mind how to live their lives. And those who are most at risk are lumped in with those of us who are healthy, which I don't think is fair to either side. This broad brush stroke that is being applied, which I would consider government overreach at this point, unjust, unconstitutional, illegal, and tyrannical, because it seeks to not only tell us where we can and can't go, how we can run our businesses or not, how we can gather in our homes or not, because my governor, like so many other Democrat governors in Pennsylvania, California, New Mexico, have now determined how many people can be in our houses for Thanksgiving, how many people can attend church on Christmas Eve, where we can go, what businesses are essential and non-essential, which people are essential and non-essential, therefore. Whereas I would argue that any job that pays your bills is an essential job. And yet, people go along with it. People comply. Churches are complying. What happened? Where did we turn from being a free people in a republic to being so easily swayed into compliance where we allow this and even vote for it? Where did, where did this happen at? Is it the post-World War II generation? But wherever we track the history back to, whether it be post-World War II, America in the 50s and the 60s, the explosion in the population, the economic boom that came with the conclusion of the Second World War, whether it was in the 80s, in the me generation, and the selfishness of the me generation, that we only cared about our individual needs and wants, and we didn't worry about anybody else. When did we decide that our votes didn't really matter? that they were more of an ideological assertion, that they didn't have real-world consequences. So we could vote for things that are explicitly detrimental to our health and well-being in our lives. Political leaders across the United States and around the world have enacted policies that violate their own laws and constitutions. And they've been allowed to get away with it. Businesses have been shut down permanently. Where was the community to stand up for those businesses, especially those small business owners? 
where are the people who are going to stand up and say that the state does not get to determine when, how, where, why we worship our God, according to the First Amendment of the Constitution. We are at a point in our nation's history, in my opinion, where our society has been utterly stripped of its integrity, its collective strength, its identity, in such a way that we will believe anything, we'll fall for anything. We have no moral compass as a society. We have no baseline for morality anymore. The entertainment industry indoctrinates us in a narcissistic, psychopathic morality that is self-interested, self-serving, and allows feelings to determine right and wrong. We have been emasculated as men over the course of the last century. Women haven't been indoctrinated in such a way that they actually believe that femininity is evil and oppressive and a symbol of victimhood. Boys have been neutered. Girls have been indoctrinated. Our sense of community has devolved to the point where we no longer even know our neighbors' names, let alone caring and concern for them and their well-being. Churches are nodding heads clubs where we all agree to come and be fed, pablum, whatever makes us feel good about ourselves, so long as we know that God loves us and he's just happy with us if we try our best. Moralistic therapeutic deism, as it's called. Every aspect of our society has been targeted and attacked by an ideology, specifically communist socialist ideology, but an ideology of oppression, which seeks to divide us, fragment us, turn us against each other based on race, gender, creed, politics, so that we don't see the real enemy. In the past, I've always taught that Satan comes at us sideways. He attacks through those people that we care about the most, where we are most vulnerable. But of late, it seems that he's abandoned those ambushes for full-on frontal assaults on our religious liberty, on our civil liberties, on our God-given rights. And we've allowed it to happen. Where are our thought leaders? Where are our dissidents? Where are our subversives? Where are the people who stand up and say, no more, this is the line and you will not cross it? Last week I was kicked out of a church for refusing to wear a mask, for refusing to comply with the state mandate. I was kicked out of a church by other pastors. My own peers kicked me out of a church for not complying. It was a church that holds over 1,000 people, and there were less than a dozen of us in the building. I refused to comply with the mandate, and therefore I was told I had to leave, so I left without arguing. Now I know 
that I do not have any peer support amongst my colleagues, that my peers have chosen to obey the state, not even a law, a mandate. They chose a mandate over their brother, pastor. Now, I knew before this that they weren't dependable and that we weren't on the same footing as far as our ethics and morals, our worldview, even our theology. But this year, this past eight months, has exposed everybody. It's exposed fear and cowardice. It's exposed courage and strength. It's exposed everyone. And it's often not pretty. So what do we do with a tyrannical government? What do we do when we interface and engage with people who voted for that and support it? When our neighbors will anonymously report us for not enforcing mask mandates or social distancing, for not allowing our governors and mayors to shut down our gyms, our restaurants, our bars, and our businesses. How are we going to live with each other in a community that's barely a community anymore? We have no tribal identity anymore. McDonald's is considered essential, but gyms are not. Liquor stores remain open, but AA meetings are shut down. You're told to stay inside, order on Amazon, watch Netflix. Cut yourself off from all human interpersonal interaction. As if that's good for you. And now Amazon's announced that they're going to start selling prescription medications. But churches are closed. And we comply. Why? Why are we not allowed to debate the science? Why are we not allowed to challenge the experts? Why are we not allowed to see the data and the numbers and the statistics that prove your assertion is true? If my governor makes an assertion about COVID cases in the, on the rise, not wanting hospitals to be overwhelmed, good. That's good. Thank you for informing me of that. Now show me the data, all of it. Allow it to be scrutinized by other scientists. Allow us to debate the science, question the science, get a second or a third opinion. Any good doctor that I've ever known has always told me after they've given me their prognosis, would you like me to ask one of my colleagues to step in here so you can get a second opinion? That's a man who has integrity. That's a woman who has integrity. That they're so confident in their diagnosis, their prognosis, that they're more than happy to allow another peer, another colleague come in the room and offer their own prognosis or diagnosis. I don't trust people who tell me not to question their assertions. I don't care if they're clergy, politicians, police, doctors, teachers. I don't care. If you treat your opinion as dogma, I seriously question your integrity and I want to know more about why it is that you're not allowing me to ask questions or challenge you. Because if you're confident in what you say, if you are confident in your opinion, then you will welcome criticism. You will welcome it being tested. Because it's through pressure testing that we find out whether something is strong or weak. Same for people. 
But politics, as Donovan says, and I agree with this, politics is a magnet for sociopaths and liars. We all know it, but we keep voting for these people and we don't demand change. And then in our communities, in our cities, there are men and women with no meaningful political power or authority who devote, he calls it waste, but for them, they devote their time and their energy trying to convince complete strangers to convert to their way of thinking. And if you don't, we will burn down your business. We will block the roads and attack you in your cars. We will corner you in restaurants and bars or on the street. And we demand that you bend a knee and that you join us or we will beat you. If you don't show, share my group identity, if you don't share my religious belief, then you must be crushed because you are a heretic. We know what's best in life. I know what's best in life, and you must therefore comply. My governor actually had the audacity to say, if you voluntarily comply with my mandate, you won't be fined or put in jail. That is the definition of injustice. You will voluntarily comply or you will be punished. It's extremely passive-aggressive. And it's a lie. Voluntary means I get a choice. But it's very passive-aggressive in that I make the choice and then I get fined and then they don't have to take responsibility for the enforcement of their mandates. It's my fault. It's victim-blaming. It's victim-shaming. The communists have used this tactic for generations. And that's where we're at. We have this communist-socialist technocracy now where big tech is above the law They get to determine who tells the truth and who's a liar. They get to determine who uses their platforms and who doesn't. And because of their generous campaign contributions to both Democrat and Republican alike, they never have to worry about the consequences of their actions. In many states, governors, mayors, political leaders, community organizers are communist socialist advocates agents, useful idiots. And yet we fall for it. We're duped by it. I was talking with someone just a little bit ago and I noted, isn't it interesting that the World War II generation, as they die, this comes to the forefront of our society and culture. It takes over the collective imagination of our society. Because the entire generation that fought against it had to die for it to take root on American soil. Do you think that the people who stormed the beaches at Normandy, who slogged across Guadalcanal, would stand to watch socialism take root in America? And yet, it has been for about 100 years. And now we see the fruits. Now we experience the fruits. I think about that a lot of late in regards to the Second Amendment knowing that if I defend my home and property from an invader, if I exercise the right of eminent domain, if I exercise my Second Amendment rights as a sovereign citizen, there's a good chance I'll be charged with a felony and put in jail. Because the Constitution apparently holds no authority over many of our local and state leaders. 
and I don't have the kind of money necessary to hire a defense team to keep me out of jail. And so what am I prepared to do with knife or gun or hands if I have to protect my family? Am I not only ready to defend them, am I ready to go to court and be charged with a felony for defending my family or someone in need? Am I ready to go to jail for 5, 10, 25 years for doing what's right, what's morally right, and what's legally right? It's as if we live in topsy-turvy town and everything is upside down and backwards. Good is evil, evil is good. Masculine is feminine, feminine is masculine. Everything's upside down and backwards. And we aren't collectively standing up together and saying no more. You're done. We voted for you. And therefore we're saying you don't represent us anymore. You are actually standing in opposition to God's will. And therefore we will not comply. We will not bend a knee to you. We will not listen to you anymore because you have violated the boundaries of law and God's will. Benjamin Franklin, who Thomas Jefferson was riffing off of, said that opposition to tyranny is obedience to God. Resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Can we resist tyranny without breaking out into full-blown physical violence without bloodshed? I hope so. I really do. I don't think anybody who's sane, who loves their family, loves their community, loves their church, loves their friends, loves their life, wants to see bloodshed, wants to be involved in shedding their neighbor's blood, another American's blood. I don't. But can we be dissidents? Can we be subversives? Can we stand up collectively and say, no more. You've gone too far. We're done with this. Can we do that? Or has the mainstream media and big tech and these political leaders done so much damage to us through these psyops that they've waged against us that the damage is irreparable, that we're beyond redemption as a people now? We're not on the upward slope of communist, socialist influence in this culture. We're on the other side. It has infiltrated every corner of our society, starting with our academic institutions. I know this. I attended many of them over the years. It's now in elementary and middle schools even. It's infiltrated the pop culture through the entertainment industry, through mainstream media. People are being indoctrinated in communist socialist ideology without even knowing it. We've been indoctrinated so that we no longer think for ourselves or even want to think for ourselves. We can't speak up because when we do, we're shouted down and we're declared that we're heretics. And all opposition is met with force, the threat of violence. So to law enforcement, what do you do? It's a genuine, honest question that I have. What do you do when a mayor or for your state trooper, the governor, or whomever, 
issues a command, a mandate, an executive order that you believe is unconstitutional, it violates your sworn oath as a law enforcement officer. What do you do? How do you navigate that? Serving your community while simultaneously following the orders that come from up the chain of command. I'd be genuinely curious. So if you're listening to this and you're in law enforcement, DM me, email me, because I would love to hear your approach to this. It would be very helpful for me. Because as a pastor, I know that I refuse to comply at this point. I'm done complying with the state. They've, they've overreached their authority, in my opinion. They do not comply with the word of God. And therefore, I will not, I will not follow their orders. And I have very good reasons for that. Theological, ethical, moral, legal, that I don't need to go into on a midweek debrief, but ultimately it's because I serve God and not men. And my ultimate authority is the law of God, not the law of men. And where the law of God and the law of men overlap or are in compliance, then I love and serve my neighbor and I support my governors, mayors, social, civil leaders, on up, on up and down the chain of command. Where they violate that, where they are no longer in relation to that law of God, then I say, no, I must obey God rather than men. I must listen to God's word over and against the words that you are speaking to me. Because I serve a higher power, a higher authority, a higher law. And therefore, I'm willing to take and receive the consequences for my rebellion against civil authority. So as of today, and me ruminating on this, I am choosing civil disobedience because I no longer believe that my governor is behaving civilly or in compliance with God's will. Therefore, I've made my choice. I'll go to my elders and have the conversation with them and ask them if they agree with my choice or disagree with my choice and what they want to do then. I'll talk with my coach. I'll talk with my students. I'll talk with friends and ask them their opinion. But to follow an unjust order, to sit and watch people lapse into addiction and abuse, to see people die by their own hand because of these lockdowns. More people have died as a consequence of the COVID lockdowns than have died from COVID. And yet, we are not talking about that. The mainstream media is not covering that story. My neighbors are almost completely naive to what's actually happening to people outside of their own social circle, which is dwindling due to these lockdowns. We cannot live in fear. We were not made to live in fear. We were not given a spirit of timidity by our creator. We are to live in boldness of life. We are to be bold as lions. We are to strive for integrity and dignity, prudence and temperance, to quote Marcus Aurelius. We are to show up for our neighbors to care about their health and well-being, to put it above our own if necessary and when necessary. We are to strive for virtue, to be strong, to be protectors and defenders of those who are weak and can't defend themselves. 
That's what we're called to do. And when sociopaths and liars take their turn at the lectern and issue edicts and mandates and executive orders that are unconstitutional, unethical and immoral and irresponsible, and in no way showing love for the neighbor who they are killing by their decisions, and also not addressing the most compromised, the most in danger amongst us. Those are the folks that I would like to see get the most attention more than anything. Those that are most susceptible, the most immunocompromised people in our society that do need help. Those are the folks that I wish we could focus on more and address that. Not just the elderly and those with pre-existing conditions, but those with type 2 diabetes, which is preventable. Those with heart disease, which is also preventable. Let's address obesity. 46% or more of the U.S. population is morbidly obese. And therefore, they are more susceptible to the negative consequences of COVID-19. Those who don't exercise and who have a sedentary lifestyle are more at risk of severe consequences of COVID-19. But those who are making the decisions for the rest of us, as I noted, are the most unhealthy, physically and mentally and emotionally unhealthy people amongst us. Because if we are by and large an unhealthy population, then of course we are going to elect unhealthy people to represent us. Because they resemble us and like attracts like, as the philosopher stated. If we had a society of Spartans, if we had a society that put a high value on athletics and personal growth and improvement, we would elect people that were an example of that, who manifested that collective identity. But that is not our society's identity. And therefore, we don't elect those types of people. We are sick. We've adopted We've been indoctrinated in a victimhood mentality, and therefore we elect people who make us victims. We demand choice, but then when given a choice, we demand that someone make choices for us. So we elect authoritarians to rule over us. We are selfish and care only about ourselves, and therefore we elect people who are selfish and care only about themselves. We created this problem by allowing it to happen. So therefore, only we can correct this problem by not allowing it to happen anymore. But if we can't join together, if we can't unite, if we can't love each other as we need to be loved, we'll never get there. If we're so afraid of dying that we're willing to anonymously inform on our neighbors, well then, as individuals and as a society, we're already dead. We must regain our identity as free men and women in this republic of America. We must reclaim our identity as children of God and live bold as lions, not fearing death, but looking forward to heaven. We must recognize that more people are dying as a consequence of the COVID lockdowns than from COVID itself. We are destroying our children's future. We are destroying our future. 
by allowing these petty authoritarians to rule over us and legislate in such a way that we will be affected negatively for generations. I'm just frustrated because I see people suffering. I see their hardship. I see how we struggle as a family to get through this, to move through this with our children and try and protect them as best we can from it. I know people who have committed suicide. I know children who have committed suicide because of the mental effects it has had on them, the lockdowns and the restrictions and the mandates. I know too many people who have fallen off the wagon and are now full-blown addicts again. I know too many people who are involved in abusive relationships because of this, both adults and children. I know too many people who lost their livelihood because their businesses were shut down, because they couldn't pay the bills, because there's no customers. I know so many people who have died the last eight months, and they didn't have to. I know people who died because they couldn't receive treatment for their cancer. And that's why as a Christian, in particular, I'm commanded by Jesus to forgive as I am forgiven. I pray for it in the Lord's Prayer, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. But to know that my governor, mayors across the country and other governors, political leaders, have willfully and complicitly engaged the population in such a way that it has led to the death of hundreds of thousands of businesses, tens of thousands of people. All for the sake of power. It is very, very difficult for me today to forgive them. And I pray for the strength to forgive them. Every day, almost. But the Lord hasn't given me that strength yet. So I continue to pray and I ask you to pray for me. Because I don't know what the answer is. I don't know the way forward. I stand up. I speak up. And I'm attacked. I'm put down. I'm kicked out. I'm shamed. I'm made to feel guilty. I don't feel guilty, but I'm made to feel guilty. All because I refuse to comply. All because I ask questions. I don't argue. I don't get violent. I'm not confrontational about these things. Specifically so that I can walk away and say, I did nothing to inspire this. I did nothing to provoke these people to the emotional state that they reached by the end of the conversation. All I did is state my stance. I refuse to wear this mask. All I did was ask a question. Why? Where? How? What? Show me the data. Prove it to me, and then I'll do it. It's an interesting thing to be vilified for asking a question. Kind of makes me think, maybe there's something more at stake here. Maybe there's something more going on that we're not seeing, that we're not even allowed to ask questions. All I know is my governor made the decision to shut down the state again. He says for four weeks, I doubt it. Once you give an authoritarian power, they're not going to relinquish that power. They're going to keep taking and taking and taking until there's nothing left to take. That's the nature of authoritarianism. And so I oppose him. I will be a dissident. 
I will be a troublemaker. I will resist. I will be the rebel. And possibly then, by standing up and being counted, it will inspire others to stand up. And maybe that's how we re recover our identity. One person at a time stands up and shines a light into the darkness. And then other people find their way to the light. But that's all I can do, is to move forward in faith, to move through this with love and not malice in my heart, and to hold the line, not for my sake, but for my kids and for others who are afraid to stand up and speak up, who have been terrorized by the media and by politicians for so long, they're so broken down mentally and emotionally that they don't even know up or down anymore. They don't know right from wrong. Their left hand from their right hand. So I'm here for you. I am. I'm here for you. My church is always open to you. My ears are open to you. And I'll stand up for you. And I'll fight for you as much as I can. God give me the strength to do it. For as long as I can. Because if not me, then who? If not you, then who? So think about it today. Ask yourself the question. Are you prepared? Are we prepared for what's happening? What can you do where you live at to help others, to build up others, to encourage others not to live in fear, to not be fooled by what the mayors and the governors are saying to question authority and to exercise our right as Americans. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I used to say that in school. We used to say it every morning. First thing. We don't say that in school anymore. Maybe that's worth thinking about too. But that's all I got today. I'm sorry if I'm not very upbeat. It's It's been an exhausting eight months. And like I said, I've had to bury a lot of people. And I've had to stand by and watch people bury themselves. And the people that that facilitated those those implosions don't seem to face any consequences. And they just keep accumulating more power for themselves. And we just seem to keep giving them more of it. And I don't know where this ends. I don't. So, but I refuse to live in fear. I refuse. So keep fighting, everybody. Fight the good fight. Fight. We'll talk to you again Sunday. Peace.